Today on Ag News Daily. Um, I enjoy seeing the different yields and how each like brand kind of compares to one another on yields and I don't know, seeing how things turn out after all the hard work we have put in and the guys have put in over the summer. Happy Friday and good morning, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Ag News Daily Podcast on this Friday, September 30th edition, brought to you by Performance Livestock Analytics, helping you work smarter on your cattle operation. Visit performancelivestockanalytics.com to request a demo. Tanner, how you doing on this Friday? Well, I barely wrapped up a big yawn before you finished that question, so uh, I think I'm doing great, but apparently I uh, needed a little extra sleep. You need a little extra coffee this morning too, maybe. Oh, that's what, that's what it is. Don't worry about the sleep. Let's just power through with some caffeine. I think there's a lot of our listeners are doing the same thing, uh, today and, and probably most days. That is probably true. And tomorrow is International Coffee Day. So you got to celebrate then. Oh, I think you should celebrate it also. I'm, you know, I would love to, but I'm just <laughs> not a big coffee person. Whenever anybody asks to have a coffee meeting, I'm always all for it, but I don't really drink coffee, so I have to try and find something creative on the menu to order. Like a hot chocolate flavored coffee? Right. Which, you know, is just hot chocolate? Yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. That's a good yeah. way to put it. Well, Delaney, I know it seems like we're kind of uh, sticking on this story throughout the week, but Hurricane Ian has really been a big portion of the news coming out of our southern United States. Of course, it came out of Florida, crossed right over Florida, and now is headed up the coast towards the Carolinas as a Category 1 hurricane. That means it's got maximum sustained winds of 85 miles per hour. The winds have actually been ranging between 39 and 74 miles per hour. Uh, it does look like today North and South Carolina will be right in the path of some dangerous storm surges. Uh, it looks like even though the hurricane is out of Florida, there will still be some devastating river flooding and recovery efforts in place. Delaney, sounds like more than two and a half million people are without power. Uh, hurricane Ian struck Florida with more than 150 miles per hour worth of wind. Several inches of rain, vehicles, boats, homes have been swept away. Roads were turned into rivers. Many trees have been torn down. So it looks like uh, there will be a lot of support in the area. Uh, the National Guard from six states has been mobilized to come help. FEMA plans to hand out more than 250,000 liters of water. Sounds like there is uh, 270,000 meals prepared to be handed out. Uh, President Joe Biden stated that this is a natural disaster, which then gives residents in that area up to $73,000 worth of claimable assistance from federal aid in order to help them rebuild their home and rebuild their personal belongings. So it sounds like with the help of a lot of other states, more than 7,000 National Guard soldiers, the relief effort will now be in place. Unfortunately, Delaney, there are no uh, unfortunately, there are deaths reported, but there's no official number or account at this time. Local sheriffs are stating that that number could be in the hundreds. Yeah, and from an agricultural perspective, Tanner, I was reading an interesting article on um, agriculture.com, Successful Farming's website this morning, 
talking that Floridian farmers are scrambling to or were scrambling to reach their cattle on Thursday as Hurricane Ian touched landfall. You know, as we look at trees down, power down, broken fences um, from a safety perspective, not only for the cattle, but also for just normal people. It was very important that they were able to get to their cattle in time to get them to where they needed to be for the storm's duration. Uh, this is one of the mightiest storms to hit the U.S. mainland in recent years, Tanner, and really probably did cause some, um, you know, livestock deaths. But so far, we're seeing that a lot of folks were able to get to their cattle uh, before the storm really hit. But I didn't realize this, Tanner, the state has more than 1.6 million cattle. About 2% of the U.S. herd actually lives in Florida. So we're going to have to watch and continue to see what numbers come out of there as far as livestock losses go, just because they are such a large portion of the U.S. Uh, herd. Yeah, the other side of that that I had heard was, you know, Texas has been so dry and that's where a significant amount of the U.S. cotton is grown. But there is a good portion of Florida that is also cotton growers and uh, that harvest was taking place. So there was a lot of farmers making sure that they were getting that cotton picked as quick as possible because we know what wind and rain can do to a cotton crop and they were trying to prevent that from happening. Absolutely. But speaking of weather, I'm going to take us down to South America, where we're continuing to see soil moisture problems. Argentina's had extremely poor weather conditions for quite some time now, as well as dryness and bouts of cold over the winter, their winter and into their early spring. And they've caused some wheat fields to be abandoned, Tanner, which is, of course, coming at the time when we're seeing Ukraine get into the fields and get harvested, but of course, lots of abandoned fields or poorer fields there as well. With conditions not expecting to improve anytime soon, more producers, they're saying, could face abandonment or really poor yields. And these conditions have also been pushing back their corn planting window. And the country is likely not out of the woods yet. They're seeing some frost, uh, becoming less and less likely, but still nonetheless seeing some frost down there. And instead, as soon as we kind of get through the woods there with the frost concerns, dryness is going to be the main concern once again, as soil moisture across the country is the lowest they've seen in the last 30 years for much of the corn production area, Tanner. I still remember the conversation we had with Tommy Grisafi about the fact that South America needs to have an almost perfect crop yeah. in order for us to move forward. And it doesn't sound like those conditions are amounting to where that could be a possibility. But I do want to state here real quick. I believe I misspoke during my first report there when FEMA has prepositioned personnel and 300 ambulances along with medical teams that plan to deliver 3.7 million meals and 3.5 million liters of water. So I didn't, I definitely undershot that if my recollection of the article. So I wanted to get that corrected here before we jump into a story about oil. You know, obviously we had our ethanol stocks report yesterday. There is a lot of quite interesting news around natural gas in the EU but now oil prices are continuing to climb. So Thursday, after expectations of declining U.S. supply, sparked another day extension in the rally. 
Now focus is turning to the upcoming Chinese manufacturing data and OPEC meeting that could potentially result in some more supply curbs. Crude oil rebounded about 4% in the last two days, recovering from an eight-month low, as we had reported the week before. Now, as the hurricane went through the Gulf of Mexico, it is potentially going to cause even further disruptions to the U.S. crude supply. Prices are supported by the U.S. crude inventories, but now we're seeing those start to draw down, as we also reported last week, Delaney. You add all of these things together, and we could see big issues. Crude oil inventories fell by 215,000 barrels this last week, with gas inventories substantially larger at 2.4 million barrel decline. So two big declines there as we are looking at monitoring where fuel prices might head going into fall. It doesn't look like things are headed in a favorable direction there, Delaney. No, it certainly doesn't, Tanner. And, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) I I don't know exactly how this story ties into everything else yet, but I saw it this morning nonetheless and wanted to share it with our listeners. Gazprom, of course, is Russia's largest uh, nat gas supplier and has largely been doing fairly well, even as we've seen sanctions placed on Russian products and companies. Gazprom shareholders have backed the largest ever dividend payout totaling about $21 billion at their general meeting that was held on Friday, Russia's Friday. Shareholders backed this interim dividend of about 89 cents per share. And this is the highest payout that we've seen in Russian corporate history, let alone Gazprom corporate history. Uh, shares initially rose about 5% after the announcement before reversing course back down to about two, back down by about 2%. The other piece of this story is that they did not take dividends in June, um, on last year's results. So that was the first time since 1998 that they skipped dividends and now taking out record dividends, Tanner. That, uh, yeah, did it all balance out or is that a manipulation factor? That's uh, a good in- question. Correct. That's a very interesting story to have come across. I'm glad that you shared that because that, that just gives more food for thought. Let's pause here real quick for our sponsor to share a message with our listeners. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations. Generate real-time closeout reports. Record health data at the chute, in the pen, or pasture. Or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated into one easy-to-use platform. Accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, Delaney, it looks like pesticide manufacturers Syngenta Crop Production and Corteva Inc. are allegedly paid distributors to block competitors from selling less expensive generic products. At least that is what the blame is, as DTN reports. According to a federal complaint filed on Thursday by the Federal Trade Commission and 10 state attorney generals, The complaint filed in the U.S. District Court in Middle North Carolina alleges that these two companies have run a so-called loyalty program in which distributors only get paid if they limit business with competing manufacturers. Cutting off the competition has allowed these defendants to inflate their prices and force American farmers to spend millions of dollars more for their products 
over generics. So Delaney, quite an interesting case brought by uh, the government itself, obviously, the Federal Trade Commission. But Syngenta and Corteva are two of the largest pesticide manufacturers operating in the United States. Uh, we know that Syngenta is based out of Switzerland, is a subsidiary of the Chinese-owned company, Corteva, or Chinese-owned company. And Corteva, headquarters in Indianapolis, is a company formed as part of a merger between DuPont and Dow. The Federal Trade Commission was joined by the attorney generals in California, Colorado, Illinois, Iowa, Indiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, Oregon, Texas, and Wisconsin to state that moves like this are illegal and it is not a benefit to agriculture to stop generic pesticide sales and that allows for boosted profits. So that'll be an interesting one, Delaney. I know a lot of reward programs that are in place for farmers that buy all of their seed and their chemicals from these companies and offering discounts which then I guess would persuade them not to buy generic. However, I would like to think our listeners are financially savvy enough that if the generic was cheaper than the discounts provided, um, they would just buy the generic. Well, Tanner, I'm not really sure how this news story came about, but it's titled Ending Beef Exports and Imports Would Cost Cattlemen's Billions. They're saying, this article is prefacing that by entirely ceasing U.S. international beef trade would be an economic catastrophe for America's beef industry and retail beef would be even more expensive for American consumers. Now, like I said, I'm not entirely sure if there is some sort of legislation going on behind closed doors we're not aware of here or why this economic report was um, fostered in the first place. But nonetheless, it was co-authored by livestock economists from Kansas State University and Oklahoma State University looking at foregoing any sort of international trade, both imports and exports, would cause significant disruption in prices and quantities. They said even just a 10% reduction in U.S. beef exports and imports would cause significant disruption, let alone cutting it off completely. Uh, the report goes on to share, Tanner, that over 10 years, if they even saw just a 10% reduction, that amount to about $12.9 billion to feeder cattle sellers and about $6.8 billion to fed cattle sellers. So again, interesting report, not entirely sure if they just did this maybe before any sort of writing was on the wall there, but um it is titled, if anyone wants to go read it, Assessing Economic Impact That Would Follow Loss of U.S. Beef Exports and Imports, Tanner. Interesting. Yeah, I would be curious to dive into that. Maybe I will today to see if we can get to the bottom of the reason behind that story. Let's just pause one more time for a message from our sponsor today. Do you know your break-even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance beef users have quick access to real-time, accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends, all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated into one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, Delaney, I think you are going to take a chance here to look at the quarterly stocks report that is going to come out. So let's jump into your report of that section here. 
Well, Tanner, the U.S. corn stocks came in lower than analysts expected, soybeans larger than analysts expected, and wheat came right in line with industry guesses. So definitely more of a bullish report here for corn, bearish for soybeans, and overall pretty neutral report for wheat. And it's interesting to note that uh, USDA had some issues getting their report out today as you tried to hit the link. You kept having to hit it and refresh it, so I don't know if the website was getting too many hits on it at one time or what. But nonetheless, looking at those numbers here specifically, we saw USDA peg corn stocks at a 1.377 billion bushels down from the trade estimates, which came in at 1.512 billion. Soybeans up about 30 million bushels from the trade's expectations at a 274 million bushels. Wheat stocks, like I mentioned there, came right in line with where analysts expected at a 1.776 billion bushels. And uh, USDA also cut wheat production by 133 million bushels, which really tightens the balance sheet here for the wheat market specifically. Thank you for doing that, Delaney. It's, uh, I wasn't going to be able to dive into that for us, but what do markets have to say now on today's Friday edition? Following the report, Tanner, we certainly saw commodity markets react fairly positively to those numbers, largely, again, seeing things come in uh Fairly bullish for corn. We saw it adding 14 cents right after the release of the report. Wheat up 26 cents following the report and soybeans down 18 cents. That was just minutes after the report was released. About 30 minutes later here as we're recording this, Tanner, let's take a look at where these markets hit today or where they're currently sitting. Still seeing um, favorable trade in the corn markets up about 13 cents at 682. New crop soybeans down 27 cents 30 minutes here after the report. And uh, Chicago December wheat up 26 cents at about 9.22. Hopping over into the livestock markets, of course, they're uh, not largely trading today's report other than the fact that they may have a more expensive feed source to buy moving forward. December live cattle down about 90 cents at the midday at a buck 46.85. November feeders down $2.70 at $1.75, right on the nose there. And December lean hogs up about 35 cents on the day at $76.05 here at the midday tanner. Well, listeners, today we're super excited to start off our Farmer Friday segment for the fall, talking with Danae Cato from Southeast Missouri, a farmer, a seed rep, a chemical rep, all different kinds of titles. Danae, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So to give our listeners a little bit of a background with all of those titles, what's your day-to-day look like and where is your farm actually located? Um, I actually, every day is a little bit different. Uh, during more during like the seed sales time, like during planting season, I'm more trying to be in the office or around the office and meeting with farmers and getting them what they need. And same goes for during like the summer during this during the spray season. Right now during harvest, I spend a little bit more time on the farm, but I still even during planting season and during the summer, I spend most afternoons on the farm. 
Uh, we are located in Advance, Missouri. That's a pretty small town. Not a whole lot around here except for farms. So where about is that? What would be a good city landmark for our listeners to uh, get an idea? What's the closest big, closest big city to you? Uh, we are, I guess, halfway in between St. Louis and Memphis. Uh, if they're familiar with Missouri, then we are about 30 minutes from Cape Girardeau, but St. Louis is about two hours from us. Got it. Thank you. So thanks for jumping on the podcast. This is a kick off to a fun segment of giving a little bit of crop progress report, but more on the harvest side of things for our listeners. So let's start off for you guys in the field. Have you been rolling? Yeah, we started about two weeks ago. Um, it's been pretty rough, not going to lie. Uh, we've had a lot of breakdowns, um, issues with bins and combines and all different types of things. Uh, we're only about, I'd say, maybe 15 to 20 percent done with harvest, even though we've been in there for two weeks. What's your crop outlook for each of your crops? Is it looking good for y'all? Did y'all have a good summer? Um, we were kind of affected by the drought, but I'd say about 90 percent of our crops are irrigated. So that helped out some. But we did kind of see a little bit of the stress, the drought stress take a toll on the yields, uh, but they're doing better than expected, especially our rice. We started into rice earlier this week, and it actually did pretty good for considering all the drought issues we had. I wondered if you had gotten down into rice country. So you've got a couple of days left on rice harvest, or or is that about ready to wrap up? Uh, We wrapped up the early planted stuff uh, yesterday, and we just jumped back into corn. Uh, We had a late spring or a wet spring. So it kind of affected our planting. So we had a mixture of corn, rice, and beans all being planted at the same time. So we just switched back into our later planted corn. uh, And then we sprayed our rice to uh, have it dried out. And we'll start back into that next week once we get done with corn. And besides your corn, are y'all getting into soybeans soon? Um, Yeah, we'll start into soybeans once once we get done with the rice, most likely, they're starting to dry out. We're hoping that the heat doesn't put too much pressure on them to where they don't start popping out and we don't have to switch to in between rice and beans back and forth. Yeah, there's been a lot of farmers up here in central Iowa that are driving around looking for crops that are ready. Sometimes they're staring at some bean fields that look like they're good to go and they pull it in and they're too wet or they've got dry beans on the hillsides and they're still you know, 16 to 18% down in the valleys looking to blend them. It, it's, uh, it's starting off up here in Iowa to be a little bit of bouncing around, trying to find corn and beans with the right moisture to get those harvested. But you had mentioned, unfortunately, that your family had had a little bit of repair issues here at the beginning of harvest. How has it been sourcing parts? Are you guys uh, able to get the pieces you need, or is there a delay in receiving those? So far, it hasn't been any major delays. Um, I think the biggest wait we had was on a part for a corn header that was two, two to three days. But, uh, really the guys have been on top of it and it's just been not anything major, but enough to just set us back for a day or two. Have there been any other issues that have had y'all struggling in this early part of harvest, such as sourcing labor or anything like that? Surprisingly, no, this has been the most help that we've had 
probably ever. Uh, we actually have a, quite a few truck drivers and we have plenty of people running on uh, grain carts and that's been a first for us this year. Well, that's been great. We appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Before you sign off, what is your favorite part about being a part of the fall harvest? Um, I enjoy seeing the different yields and how each like brand kind of compares to one another on yields and I don't know, seeing how things turn out after all the hard work we have put in and the guys have put in over the summer and seeing how it all turns out is probably my favorite part. Well, Danae, we love learning about each different person's harvest experience and we hope you have a great finish off to your harvest this fall. Thank you for joining us. Yep. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. What a good Friday episode for our listeners. I hope everybody has a great weekend and make sure you catch us next week. For now, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.